Hello and welcome. The goal of this podcast is to get listeners connected with others in the sports industry because they say it's all about who you know and now you know us. All right, everybody. Hello and welcome. This is your host, Connor Shank, and you're listening to the Constant Sports Podcast, the podcast that is committed to connecting you with other sports business professionals. Because they say it's all about who you know, and now you're going to know Keaton Tibbetts. Thanks for joining us today, Keaton. I appreciate it. Happy to be here. Yeah, perfect. We've been, uh, I guess, in the same realm, kind of known of each other for a little, almost a year now. So it's it's good to kind of have you on the podcast today. And um, for those who are unfamiliar with Keaton, uh, he is the Director of Collectives and Athlete Relations at Encore Sports. And really, in this episode, we're going to go We'll probably stay in the NIL college space a little bit, but we'll talk sports business, athlete representation, marketing, uh, NIL, of course, collectives, like we're saying. So that's kind of where we'll stay, and we'll uh, we'll hit some home runs here. So, Keaton, give us, uh, you know, first question here. What about the sports industry? I guess in a whole catches your catches your attention. You know, why do you why do you like the sports industry? Yeah, well, I grew up playing sports. I was big soccer, basketball. Got into football in high school. Um, so I played sports, was around a lot of the athletes. Obviously, those were my friends. Um, and then when I got to college, it was kind of time to decide what I wanted to do. Right. And I went the marketing route, didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do within marketing, right? I, I knew that I wanted to declare a major and stick with it. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to find myself uh, <laughs> you know, adjusting and, and prolonging my graduation by any right. means. I was ready to get in and get out uh, of school. Um with that, some of the guys I grew up with, they were able to play college sports. They were given that opportunity, had a couple of guys played soccer, football, baseball, basketball. And so I was around them and was always fascinated. Even growing up, I was always fascinated by sports business, right? Mm-hmm. I, I love to see the behind the scenes type stuff. And as I was getting ready to graduate, I was in school through COVID. So a lot of my classes through my actual major were online. So it gave me a lot right. of time to kind of decide what exactly I wanted to do. So, I, I mean, and anybody that's graduated college or is in school, you get to that last, I don't know, year or so, and everybody starts to ask, all right, so what do you want to do? Yeah. And for me, for the longest time, I had no idea. I was like, I, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't decide. It was kind of that analysis paralysis. I couldn't figure out exactly what I wanted to do because everything up to that point, the job had been kind of a, a means to an end, right? It was like, okay, I'm going to be here until I get through school. I'm going to be here until I graduate. And that was kind of the job I had through college. I worked at a call center doing healthcare insurance, and it was definitely not something I wanted to do long-term. So I felt like there was a significant amount of pressure to kind of get it right. And, right. and every time somebody would ask, like, what do you want to do? I always would say sports. I, I didn't know exactly what it was or, or how I was going to get there. I've always been fascinated from the management side of sports, like GM yeah. and, you know, front office type stuff. So yeah. I was in I was in a class that was one of those classes that helps you prepare, you know, LinkedIn and get your resume oh, yeah. cleaned up and whatnot. And and they kind of and what they had said to us was like, go through LinkedIn and connect with people that do things that you would want to do. Uh-huh. So I used to spend that last semester, semester and a half, I would spend nights sitting watching TV and I would just search, you know, a sports team marketing and I would go through and connect with everybody there. I'd find industries. I was very I'm big into golf. So I, I you know, tailor made ping Titleist, all these different groups. I'd go through and try and connect because that way I, I was connected with them. I could see what they were posting and things of that nature. 
And, and so that, that's what I did for a long time was it was just trying to connect. I, I looked at jobs with TaylorMade, both in, in uh, California. They had an opportunity in Korea that kind of excited me. I was like, well, that's kind of cool. To, <laughs> that would be cool. Bit, to bounce out and then head to Korea, um, you know, ping there in Arizona where you're at. Uh, different things like that. I was just so fascinated. And then right about the same time, this is about summer 2021 to, to put it on a timeline, um, NIL launched, right? And one of my good friends, he played quarterback at BYU, Jaron Hall. I was chatting with him. I was like, you know, what do you think? How, you know, how are you going to go about this? And at this time, there was a solution for that for him at the school that they were working through and, and whatnot. So I was kind of just kind of keeping an eye on, on what he was doing and, and what some of the people in the area, what the opportunities were. And I actually saw a KSL article written by, by Mitch Harper, I come to learn later, that was like Britton Covey and Chaz Ayu signed with local sports agents, Encore Sports. Yeah. And I had not heard of Encore Sports, right? So first thing I did, went straight to LinkedIn, found yeah. Brian, Jesse, Kevin, some of those guys and just pinged them and you know connected to see what they were doing. And uh, Brian got back to me. And at that time, I had a, back, a small background in graphic design. I'd, I'd done some graphic design work for some high high-end recruits through high school and, you know, different things like that. And so I had posted something um, to LinkedIn that I had made for Jaron, just kind of promoting spring ball and things of that nature. And Brian Fagan actually reached out. He said, Hey, like your stuff, let's chat. Right. And, you know, he was telling me, he's like, look, we're just getting started into this. We don't know what it's going to look like, yeah. uh, but we'd love for you to be involved in some capacity. And I said, Hey, look, anything you got, like, let me know. I remember, yeah. you know, going through those messages on LinkedIn and, and kind of laughing, you know, looking through that. So I, I started with uh, what you would call probably an internship, right? I was doing a couple hours a week, doing some different design work and marketing assets for them to use for the different campaigns they were using. And he said, he's like, look, bro, I can't promise you anything, but let's see where it goes. And I was happy to do it, right? So that, that kind of put me through my last semester of school. Then when I graduated, I reached out and uh, they were like, all right, let's, let's bring you on full time. So that's kind of what got me into it. I, I was always fascinated like I say, by the front office, by the agent perspective. And my initial role was that graphic design, right? I was right. going in as a digital project manager. I was working on different campaigns within Encore and some of the other businesses that were within the uh, Clear Home as the parent company at the time, essentially. But very quickly, you know, it, they told me when I, when I came on that Jesse told me, he said, look, you're going to get to wear a lot of hats. And, yeah. and I was young, aspiring, fresh out of a college kid. I was like, let's do it. Like, let's run after it ready to conquer the world. Right. <laughs> so very quickly it was, I, I remember talking to Russ, who's now the uh, Russ white, who's the, now the president of Encore telling him like, bro, like I'm, I'm ready to do whatever. Like, this is right. what got me in the door. It's not necessarily what I want to do long-term. I felt like I was pretty upfront about that. I was like, I'm, I'm not a graphic designer, <laughs> right? I'm not going to sit behind a, a desk and I just, I'd get burned out. Yeah. Um, but within, I don't know, three, four months, I, I remember I was in Texas working with TCU on a, on a campaign that we had with them and, kind of fell into the logistics role or that operations role, right? Yeah. So a lot of what I do is managing the relationship between a brand and the mm. athlete, kind of that middle guy to coordinate and, and do all of that. So it's kind of my background there with Encore, but it's it's been a heck of a ride. I think I'm coming up on two years since I started the internship. That was about August or so. And then uh, December will be two years in office. So it's it's been crazy. Why, you know, uh, uh, there's the buzzword or tagline of NIL. It's the Wild yeah. West. And if I could count on one hand, how many times it's changed, I would need several hands because oh, yeah. it's like, 
there was a direction everything was going and then it would pivot and yeah. and everyone thought we were going here and that burned out. So now we're going here. So a lot of adjustments. Yeah, no doubt. And I think, you know, a lot of the listeners and viewers can relate to kind of the starting of your career and, and wearing a lot of hats. And I feel like when, you know, people are just starting their careers, always asking, you know, the older folks or whatever that, that have been in the industry forever, they always say like, you know, get, just get, just get your foot in the door. Right. And 100%. that just shows a testament to kind of how you got your foot in the door. It's like, you know, I might not be a graphic designer. You might not be whatever the title is. Right. But just get your foot in the door and just stay there. As, and then, you know, like, like in your example, it's perfect. You stay there long enough that like, this kid just keeps coming around, keeps producing, keeps doing yeah. this, keeps doing that. And I, I really, I think that's just kind of what it's all about. I mean, I've heard that countless times with, with people who've you know been in the industry for 20 years, like their first job was like, they were getting coffee and then they, they were just there at 6am every day or whatever it is. And you know, it seems to be kind of the the recipe for success, um, yeah. believe it or not. So, um, yeah, that, that that that's awesome to hear. And then, um, so just a little bit of background for for the the listeners and viewers, Encore Sports. Um, kind of tell maybe the day to day, but I know you're in the collective space and athlete marketing. Is there uh, some other business kind of capacity that that the agency runs? Yeah. So Encore initially started 2016. Brian Fagan just got out of BYU had relationships with guys like Taysom Hill and Danny Sorensen, some BYU names. Mm -hmm. They were in the league, weren't getting a ton of marketing love. So he said, look, guys, like, let me hustle for you. Let me do my thing. And he was quite successful at it. He had a handful of athletes that he do deals with. And then come around to 2021, spring-ish, there was a, a group, Mercury Group came to Brian. They said, look, we want to dive into this. You know, we're going to help get some resources. And that's what kind of grew. So mm -hmm. Encore at, at its heart started with individual representation. Uh, they would go to athletes and say, hey, like, look, let's see what we can get you. Um, and so that's where it started. Like I say, there was a handful of pro athletes in, in the basketball and football space. NIL happens and they went they went crazy. They signed every athlete that was willing to listen. Very quickly learned that there's not necessarily a market for every athlete under the sun. So we've kind of tailored that back to we, we represent a handful of, of what we believe to be elite athletes within um, both the college uh, ranks within different sports, but also in the pro and collegiate space or uh, excuse me, Olympic spaces. Mm -hmm. um, so we do that. That's kind of one facet that we do. But right now we're, we're really focused in on collectives. Uh, it's kind of a, a term that keeps getting mentioned here. Right. Collectives are at, at their heart are a group of donors that come together. They a pool of money, if you will, mm -hmm. and then they need to find ways to, to pay the athletes. Right. So with that, it's, it's very, you know, it's, it's not complex, but there's a process to paying athletes within the NIL interim policy, if you will, from the NCAA. There has to be some sort of deliverable, right? We can't just go out and give them the cash. There has to be something done. So we come in as an operator of the collective Encore, and we help to facilitate that. We take the, the donors. They have their day jobs, or they don't necessarily want to do this day-to-day. -day. So we go in there. We take the day-to-day -day load off of their shoulders, and, you know, we're able to help educate them to what they can and can't do and then work to make sure that everything that they want to do gets done with the athletes. We're on that logistics side or operation side where we contact the athlete, we help them through the opportunity. We make sure that they do everything that they're supposed to do. We make sure they get paid all of that stuff. We're, we're the ones that handle all of that. Right. The day to day. And then just um, list off some of the collectives and I you've done, you work with ASU, BYU. I just saw um, the other day your, your post about Iona. So yep. how many are you guys looking to expand? Kind of how's that, um, I, I would assume yeah. you, you, the Encore Sports is, uh, you know, thinks, not thinks, but believes that the collectives are here to stay. 
and they're not, you know, going yeah. away anytime soon. Uh, so just kind of tell the people a little bit about that process and what it's like to maybe build up a collective, start a collective, that whole that whole thing. Yeah, like you mentioned, Arizona State, BYU, Iona is the uh, one that we've launched that we all work with day to day. There's mm-hmm. we have relationships with one of the collectives over at USC. Uh, mm-hmm. We've had hand. A handful of other relationships where we've helped to set up their collective, but we don't necessarily manage it day to day. So we're eight or 10 of those, um, if you will, in total. But it's, it's one of those things. I do believe collectives are here to stay. Collectives are a buzzword within the industry. People it's kind of polarizing. Um, There's people that don't love it. There was the memo that came out from the IRS. A lot of collectives like to file a for-profit side and have a nonprofit 501c3. The IRS came out and said, ah, we don't know about that. So there was a lot of hesitation on how that's going to work. Um, but I think collectives are not going anywhere, right? With with the Alston, you know, deciding from the Supreme Court, NIL as a whole is, is not going anywhere. Right. And I, I don't think that there's an avenue that they can shut down a collective, right? It's, it's something that I think every P5 um, and most G5 mid-majors, I think everyone will have an official collective within a year and a half or two years. Mm-hmm. It'll be recognized by the school. A lot of schools have a couple. There may be one big one and some smaller ones. I think everything will condense down personally, yeah. that every school will have one. Um, I'm intrigued to see what the NCAA does with their interim policy, You know what expansions. That's one of the things we're in right now with, with the, the Collective Association or TCA um is we were we're out on capitol hill in, in dc talking with lawmakers there was a hearing about two weeks ago um and and one of the people on the committee for up on capitol hill was like does do we need lawmakers a part of this is the ncaa inept to do this so kind of settling all of that sand is going to be really interesting and we're excited to be a part of it yeah no it is and and, and the irs memo coming out and different you know congressmen and women trying to get involved. I think a lot, you know, with the IRS is just trying to get their money, obviously, out of, out of the taxes yeah. and things. Like, they're like, oh, people are making millions of dollars? We're interested. So we're getting you know, stuck our nose in here. Um, so that is, that's funny. But as um, as you've, you know, been in this, this NIL sector, uh, maybe what are some, for the listeners and viewers, what are some maybe top voices or, I don't know, people, you know, companies that, that you listen to or contact regarding, you know, information or, you know, good people to follow for those who want to follow along in the NIL sector. Yeah. Two of the ones that come to my mind immediately, Mitt Winter on Twitter, mm-hmm. as well as uh, Darren Heitner. I yeah. think they both, they're, they both have backgrounds in law. And so they're, they're the ones that come out and are, I don't want to say they're bold, but they're, they're kind of bold in some of their, their uh, things that they post where it's like, no, this is this is the line. This is where the NCAA can't cross legally. You know, Tez Walker, one of the athlete there at, at UNC, that oh, yes. um, just just got the eligibility granted after being denied twice. Like they both came out and said, like, basically, if you don't allow him to play, you're opening up the opportunity yeah. to be sued. And the NCAA immediately, you know, was like, ah, we don't want to get sued. That opens yeah. up all kinds of, of you know cans of worms that people are not interested in being a part of. So it's just very interesting to hear like the legal perspective on that thing because i don't i don't necessarily have a law background Uh right i didn't go to law school i'm not an active attorney so to hear their perspective of like what people can and cannot do legally is very interesting to me so those are the ones and then like i keep referencing tca the collective association that's the association of of the top i think it's 25 now um collectives in the country right we're talking about alabama 
Tennessee, uh, Clemson's in there, Ole Miss, like some big players within uh, NIL are all together. So we get to talk to them frequently, hear what they're doing, um, things of that nature. So that's kind of the, the voices that I listen to. I think everybody has an opinion on NIL, mm-hmm. right? You, you talk to some old heads and they don't think anybody should get paid, right? They're getting their you know tuition covered and that should be enough. And so there's those perspectives, but there's definitely everybody has one and you got to you know, value as you can. Right, of course, yeah, and I think um, as far as kind of a legal standpoint, I, I've been following them as well, and I think it's just interesting that there's it's either like I feel like there's almost two sides of like pro NIL or anti. Yeah, I don't. I mean, maybe it's just me personally, but I don't ever see like a lot of middle ground. So they're like, no, you're paying our players, and it's cheating, or it's like, oh no, like NIL is good. So I think that'll get kind of weaseled out and meshed in as we move forward. And um, you know, me personally, I just think it maybe not fair playing field, but I feel like it evens the playing field. Like even this year we're seeing like Washington's a top five team, like the, the you know, the, 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 in the college athletics landscape, it's just so much more. It's not like Alabama, Georgia, Clemson are going to, you know, be the national champions. Like this is a way for it to kind of, you know, be maybe not more equitable, but I just think it's a level playing field for all. Right. And it's not just like, Oh, look at our facilities. And that's the one of the main recruiting points for the past forever. It's like, we have the best facilities and, so I just yeah, that, that's my thought on that. Yeah, no, there was a lot of concern that the, the Alabamas, the Georgias, the Clemsons were going to get even further ahead. Right. But look at like the NCAA Final Four basketball last year. Miami was in there, right? Yeah. Miami never had any business being in the Final Four, but somehow now, you know, now maybe they had a good team, good coaching. I don't know. Maybe there were some resources that are now available to them that they haven't had. I don't know, right? Yeah. But it's just interesting that it, it didn't necessarily create this massive skill gap, if you will, that mm-hmm. a lot of people have anticipated. Yeah, no doubt. And I think, um, I don't, I think SDSU even got maybe elite eight or close in there, but they're a smaller, smaller school than, than sure. the others are in the mountain West and whatnot. So, you know, I think that's, that's good to see. That's, that's here to stay as you're, uh, as we've been saying here and, and just a little bit of backtrack, but those who are interested in uh, collectives, uh, we'll just, we'll just keep it a collective from, for, for now, not to confuse anybody, but Maybe just uh, talk to the listeners, viewers on how those can get started, um, what what maybe what the process looks like, how long does it take? Um, and as we've mentioned, you know, there's a lot of the, the P5 schools have maybe two or maybe they have two arms, the, the, the nonprofit side and kind of the fundraising side, if you will. Um, and I, I do think I, I agree with you. I think a lot of those would be converged into just one. It makes it easier, it makes it more simple. But. Tell us um, maybe how long collectives, how long it takes to kind of build one up and establish one uh, from your experience. So in my experience, it's, it's kind of been interesting because each collective has been a little bit different, right? Generally speaking, collectives start because you got a group of donors that know that collectives are a necessity for schools to compete, right? Let's just call a spade a spade here. It's going to be something that you have to have. I I truly believe, Uh right? Um, So you'll get a group of donors together and they may start with a small amount of money or they may have a large amount of money, whatever it is. As far as like the nitty gritty details of it, you know, you're going to have things like you're going to want to set up an entity to, to house it. You don't want to, you, you almost want to run it like a business, right? Yeah. That's kind of what we're seeing with some of these other collectives is it's ran like a business, right? You're going to have seeding money to get started. And then you bring in groups like myself in Encore, or you have, you hire out executive directors, whatever it is to go generate more business, right? You're going to go out to businesses and, and offer services to be able to use athletes in their marketing campaigns or make appearances, things of that nature, social media campaigns, right? So you're going to have that because what we're seeing is that early on, you'll get a group of donors, they come together, they put 
X amount of dollars in the pot, right? Mm -hmm. They don't want to have to go back and refill the pot each year, right? Owner fatigue is going to is going to happen to a lot of schools. Uh-huh. You have to find something that creates recurring revenue and be able to have things that sustain you because you can only go to the same person so many times before they're like, hey, like, what am I getting? Burning money here. Or, yeah. You know, I don't want to do this anymore, right? And and that, you know, if that's a big donor and that's six figures that you don't have anymore, right? You got to replace that. So that's I think what we're seeing. There's been schools that for whatever reason, I don't know. I'm not on the inside of their of their walls, but they've kind of closed up shop, right? There's been groups that closed the door or they canceled. There was a, there's a P5 school a couple of weeks ago that they canceled a lot of deals that they had with athletes that were kind of on a more annual basis, right? I don't know exactly what those reasons were, but to speculate, it's it could be that the funding dried up, right? Yeah. I don't know, right? That but that's something that collectives are going to focus on is being able to have that recurring revenue. And that's one of the things that we've done at different schools that we work with and to be creative, right? We want to be able to do things that not everybody else is doing because at the end of the day, a donor looks at it kind of two ways. Some donors, they like to give out of the goodness of their heart. Maybe they went to that school, they feel inclined to give back. They're big fans of a, of a sport. I don't know, but a lot of fans, they want something back. So collectives in it's developing quickly, the benefits that we're able to give to donors, right? It it may be as much as like the collective puts together a trip to an away game and you get to fly private travel and you get tickets and things of that nature. Um, There's still a line on what the school can offer to the donors, right? There was a, there was a hope that maybe schools would be able to give uh, we call it Cougar club at BYU loyalty points, whatever it is. Right. Unfortunately, that didn't happen, right? If, if we could say that you'll get X amount of points to whatever the supporters club is to, to buy your tickets, get priority, that would be great. But unfortunately, right now, that's not an option. So creative or collectives have to be creative and the other things that they're doing to make sure that the donors feel like they're being appreciated and not just, you know, your typical 15-year-old kid coming to mom and dad saying, hey, I need money. Give me need money. money. Right. So that's, that's what I think will happen is there's going to be a lot of creativity. I think there is right now. I can think of several oper- or several things off the top of my head. You know, auctions for, you know, Ole Miss, they auctioned off Jackson Darts Tal after the LSU <laughs> game. Or they didn't auction it, excuse me, they raffled it. Um, and that generated a significant amount of money for them, right? So having those kind of things for fans to be able to buy into, because you have fan bases that are, you know, hundreds of thousands of people. Oh, yeah. If you could tap into that, then that's your recurring revenue, right? And that'll generate quickly a monthly amount or an annual amount that you can operate off of. Yeah, and and I think uh, Mitt Winter talks a lot about the these collectives kind of being run as businesses, where it's the revenue you got to pay, you got to pay here, you got to pay there, you got different expenses and things. So, you know, just agreeing with kind of what you're saying here is running the collectives and and these sorts of businesses or as businesses is obviously the way to go moving forward. Um, as collectives kind of grow and more schools, I guess, join the party or whatnot. Um, and just kind of talk, talking a little bit about, a little bit about your day to day and, and whatnot, but you mentioned it in the beginning, you're, you're wearing a lot of hats, you were doing a lot of things. So what, what's maybe one project that you're working on right now that you can talk about, of course, um, <laughs> that, 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 that's kind of been cool to, to work on or that you have completed, I guess. Yeah, no, there, there's a lot of things that, that we have going on right now that I think are pretty cool. One of the ones if I look at my day-to-day, it's it's not a very consistent day-to-day, right? I, I Because I still wear, I feel like I wear a lot of hats. I'm doing a lot of different things. Like this week, we closed a deal for a brand and one of our athletes, right? So it was wearing a sales hat, working with the brand to, you know, figure out deliverables and a price point that makes sense for both parties. 
Um, today, I've been in meetings listening to brands pitch ideas to us um, for other athletes. So there's a lot of the sales side of it. On more, the more operations side, another thing I've been working on today is going through and contacting all of the members of a, of a volleyball team to talk about a deal that we have for them, right? Give them the rundown on, you know, what's expected of them, what they'll get in return and how we're going to accomplish that. So that's kind of the more operation side of it. I do a little bit of what I would consider to be account managing as well. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I work closely with our group at Iona, had a call with them this morning that was going through proposing, you know, recurring revenue models to them that, you know, makes sense to them and their market because not every market's the same. Right. Mm-hmm. If I go sell, and this is my opinion, I haven't sold in, in the SEC, but if I go to an SEC collective and I'm selling to SEC fans, right, it might be a little different than if I'm selling to BYU fans or mm-hmm. if I'm selling to Iona fans, right? Mm-hmm. Every market's going to be a little bit different. And even within the market, I mean, selling to Utah, maybe di- selling for Utah's Crimson Collective, maybe different than mm-hmm. selling for the Royal Blue, right? So it's kind of tailoring those offerings to each market to be able to, to do something that resonates with fans, right? BYU fans, there's a lot of things. They're a very passionate group, but they're going to want a lot of value for what they're getting, right? So we need to give them an offering that we're able to create recurring revenue while also giving them something that they feel like is worth their money, right? They're not necessarily going to be a group that just forks out cash and cash and cash, right? That, But you go to an SEC school and they might. You might be yeah. able to make a phone call and find $500,000 and, you know, that's a good Tuesday morning for you, so. <laughs> It's just a lot of that kind of stuff on the day to day. I would say it's it's a little bit different. Uh, it's yeah. it, I think within sports, everyone generally can say that it's not uncommon to be doing several different things, and maybe you don't have like a, a set schedule, right? You're doing a lot of different things, maintaining a lot of relationships. Yeah, I, th- I think that's 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 fair to say, especially in the sports industry compared to others. Uh, you know, I would say that that's fair as. You, you never know what the day brings. You have your different tasks or whatnot, but you can kind of wear a lot of different hats and you're always kind of moving and grooving. Um, as you, you know, I've been in this position for a while, there are certain skills that you've seen or essential skills that you believe are maybe necessary is too aggressive, but needed in the, in the sports industry. Yeah. Relationship. You got to be able to communicate. I, uh, I'm a big LeBron James guy. He's the goat. I'll die on this. I'm really to go. I'm ready to go up against anybody. But within LeBron's close circle, he has two friends. He has, he has Maverick Carter and he has Rich Paul, right? Rich Paul is his agent, Clutch Sports, et cetera. Um, they have a TV show called The Barbershop. It, it was on HBO for a minute. I think it's on YouTube now. And I was watching one of their episodes of them conversating. And they were talking about, like, what would you do if your kid came up to you and said, Dad, I want to do what you do, right? Yeah. And they talked to Rich Paul, who, like I say, he's, he's, he's negotiated billions of dollars in NBA contracts and other sports. Um, and he said... I would tell my son the first job he needs to get is at a fast food restaurant. And they were kind of like, why? Like, how does that relate to being a sports agent? Yeah. He said, being in the sports industry, you are in the service industry, right? You are in the service, industry, whether it's maintaining relationships with brands or athletes or any teams, anything in between. Right. And, and I, that really resonated with me because I, I thought about it in the day to day where I was like, that's very true. If I go to a brand and, and I'm just a total dirtbag, right? They're not going to want to do business because I don't just represent myself. I represent Encore. I represent the athlete that I may be you know, discussing a deal about, right? So being able to handle the service side of the sports industry takes some time because you got to think about it. Everything we do is, is around money, right? I, th- I think that you could say that around a lot of jobs, obviously, but we're talking about a brand deal that's going to have one party moving money to another. 
or a collective where a donor's moving money to the collective and, and et cetera. So we got to be able to maintain those relationships so that it doesn't leave a bad taste or a sour taste in the mouth of that person. Because even from the athlete perspective, right? If, if we go to an athlete and we don't treat them appropriately or adequate, you know, up to their standard, right. well, maybe they just go take their talent somewhere else and go work with another agency. Right. Yeah. And so that's one of the things that we, that we focus on is, is creating relationships and maintaining those relationships because, Without those, you know, there is no recurring business. Somebody may do business once, and if it wasn't a good experience, yeah, back. they'll move on to someone else. Exactly. Right. Yeah, no doubt. Agree with you 100. And I don't know. Are you, I don't know if you're if you're a reader, if you're kind of a YouTube guy, or whatnot. But if you're a reader, are there some certain books that that you keep on the shelf or that you've been reading? And if not, if you're kind of a YouTube, I'm kind of a mixture of both. I'm a big YouTube guy and watch different podcasts on there and whatnot. But where kind of you get your maybe business info, maybe sales and marketing strategies and whatnot. Yeah, I uh, I am not as much of a reader as I'd like to be. I do read from time to time. Uh, a book I'm reading right now, driven by uh, the autobiography about Larry H. Miller. Right, it's mm-hmm. it's been really interesting to see that perspective. Um, one that I recommend to everybody, and I think it's a very cliche one within, excuse me, within the business world is How to Win Friends and Influence People, Dale Carnegie. Yeah. That one, I I believe that that book, from from a personal experience, it has had the biggest impact on, on my business perspectives. Right. That was something I read. I actually listened to it. That was an audio book at the time. That That's a thick book. You really <laughs> got to be a reader to get through that one, but the audio book version was, was perfect for me. And it helped me at a time where I had to, I had to in, improve on my relationships. Right. It was just, it, there was no if, ands or buts about it. It was something that I had to do. Um, so those are the, the, the two that, that come to mind Four agreements is another one that I've listened to lately. Oh, yep, yep. Um, just kind of a, a, another one about relationships and kind of a, almost a mental side of it. Um, but yeah, YouTube, I'm a big YouTube guy. I, uh, I consume a lot of content on YouTube. It's, it's more content than it is, you know, improvement per se guys like Eric Thomas and the motivational oh, yep. speakers, Tony Robbins, Les Brown, Zig Ziglar. Those guys always have a special spot in my heart. Right. I, I would, I, I would love to get the opportunity to sit down and pick their brain. Um, some other leadership ones that I like, Nick Saban. I hold Nick Saban probably higher than I should. Um, hey, to a join a club. A large degree. I'm, I'm a big Saban guy. Um, so those those types of things. There's a lot of videos on Saban, you know, his leadership speaking. I was watching one this morning. He, he has a weekly spot on Pat McAfee's show, right? Yep. If you had told me that Pat McAfee would have a weekly spot with Nick Saban, <laughs> I, I probably wouldn't have believed it. But hey, nope. here we are in 2023. Um, but that's kind of where I'm at as far as like content goes and, and business ideas. Yeah, no, I'm with you. It's, I think, um, well, especially just nowadays, YouTube just sees you kind of have multiple screens. You pop it on and you can kind of listen exactly. to it. And, and yeah, I'm pretty much the same boat there with a lot of the speakers and things. And um, so I guess kind of as we close here, what's maybe some of the, what maybe the future for Encore Sports or yourself or some, you know, five years down the line, um, kind of do you, do you see, do you kind of envision yourself somewhere doing something or just kind of admit what's your uh, kind of envision for yourself going forward? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's an interesting question because I work in a space that's quickly developing, right? right. So what is relevant today, especially within NIL may not be relevant in, in 18 months or even sooner. I, I think that that Encore is on a trajectory to be a major player within NIL. I think that we'll become a household name to operate collectives. I, I foresee that happening. Um, so within five years, I'd like to see us up there when you talk collectives, like our name just comes up, right? That's, I think, what we're after. Um, 
So that personally, I mean, I have personal goals. I'd like to see, you know, different things. I have career aspirations that mm-hmm. are within the sports industry, right? It, it's kind of interesting. It's tough to get in the sports industry. There's, you know, always going to be more people than there are jobs available, I think. No, no. Um, so I'd like to stay within the sports industry. And there's ideas that we've spit around with Encore about venturing into different facets of the sports industry that mm-hmm. we'll see if that ever comes to fruition. But I, I'm confident that if we can keep on the same trajectory where we're at, that we can be a major player within within this industry. Yeah, no, believe it. Yeah, put it put it on the books, put it on the record. Uh, you heard it here first from from Keaton himself. So uh, we appreciate you jumping on today, Keaton, and sharing a little bit of your thoughts and um, opinions on, on some different matters in the NIL space and collectives and sports. Um, so I guess to to end, we're just kind of give you the next minute or so to you can give give you the floor, give any shout outs, any any plugs, anything you got going on or where people can follow you or Encore. Um, so yeah, the floor is yours. Yeah, uh, follow us everywhere, Encore Sports, um, LinkedIn. You know, we're always trying to generate business, right? Reach out no to <laughs> Encore Sports or EncoreMarketing.com, excuse me. Um, but no, yeah, I just, I think, you know, go out and, uh, you know, life's tough sometimes. Just keep pushing. You know, I, I think that there's a lot of power in that. And it, it ain't always going to be sunshine and rainbows, as Rocky says. Yeah, Life will get you to your knees and keep you there if you let it. Um but yeah, I, I, I appreciate the opportunity to come chat with you today, Connor. I've been following Constant Sports there on socials, seeing what you're doing. And obviously yeah. you and I, we, we've had opportunities to chat offline and I'm very impressed with what you do and what you're able to do. So I appreciate the opportunity to come uh, come chat with you today. Yeah, yeah likewise. And uh, thanks for everyone for listening and watching. Uh, this has been another episode of the Constant Sports Podcast. You can find us on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, basically anywhere you get your podcasts and Today you met Eaton Tibbetts, and uh, we'll see you guys next week.